Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by KMT Partners. I'm Andrew Montessi. In this episode, we share the fascinating story of the police officer who was moonlighting as a piano repairman until the piano service business took on a life of its own. But surprisingly, Joe Lever didn't start out as a piano player. He got into the business by helping out in a family friend's piano workshop. After spending a number of years learning the craft, he then decided to pursue an alternative career in the police force. But he never gave up the piano work, continuing to repair and service from the boot of his car between shifts. Now Joe has put his policing career on hold to grow his mobile piano service business. He now has a team, a workshop and store and a broader suite of services. Joe talks about his story, the evolution of his business, the challenges and plans for the future. This podcast is brought to you by KMT Partners. KMT is a leading accounting and wealth management advisory firm in South Australia, assisting you to emerge, renew, grow and build resilience in business, themes which are central to this podcast series. For more information, visit kmtpartners.com.au. But for now, enjoy the interview with Joe Lever. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So... First question, my assumption as a man with a piano servicing business that you would have been a piano player, but I'm wrong. You're wrong. Yep. Look, um, piano, the piano industry, it's a pretty small industry, so it's a pretty, pretty small industry in general. My story, I guess, is a little bit different. A lot of people in the piano industry, you know, like I said, it's pretty small anyway, but yep. a lot of people came into it via, they, did a, you know, they played piano and then they did a tuning course. There's a, couple of, there's a tuning course in Melbourne, there's a few overseas. Um, but mine's a bit different in that I never actually, I was never actually interested in piano, so I sort of did fall into it, which I can go into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, uh, did you, do, you, do, you want, do you want me to elaborate on that? Go now? into it. Go, yeah. Let's go so into it. So basically, my story is, um, so left school in year eleven, so I was never overly academic at school, yeah. so always sort of thought that I would um, do something with my hands. Mm-hmm. So so grew up in grew up in Hobart in Tasmania, so. In, in that era, so we're talking sort of mid to late 90s, um, apprenticeships were a big thing. So I got to sort of year 10, 11, thought, oh, go into an apprenticeship. Couldn't get an apprenticeship because it was very competitive at that time. Oh, really? So, yeah, so after so I left school after year 10, couldn't get an apprenticeship. So I decided to go. The system then was a matriculation college. It was called a technical college. So um, so went, went, to a, went to a technical college um, and did year 11 and then sort of still thought, oh, I I, I actually been working for a few mm. years, sort of, um, you know, like, like kids do in, in sec, you know, small jobs and things like that. So, sort of wanted to wanted to get into the workforce. So, um, I think I was saying to this someone some the other day. The first the first time I actually had an interaction with pianos was, uh, like I said, never played piano before. Um, like piano music, like yeah. music, but never actually played piano or played any musical instrument. Um, but where I used to at the time I was sort of 16, 17, didn't have a license. I used to catch a bus. And uh, opposite the bus stop was a, a friend of our family had a big piano and furniture restoration business. So um, I sort of used to see all the pianos and furniture going in and out and, and, and sort of going in and you know, yeah. all sorts of forms and coming out restored. So that, that side of it fascinated me, the actual process of the restoration. Mm. So from a visual perspective initially, not, not so much from a musical side. Okay. Um, yeah, so... And then so, so you're fascinated by it. How did you actually get involved? Yeah, so that um, 
that friend of the family waiting at the bus stop one day, he went out, there was a coffee shop next door, so we wandered over the road, sort of saw me, um, you knew my parents, sort of saying, hey, Joe, how are you going? I said, hey, good. His name was Eric Hawks, who's, um, he runs a business called, which is still there, um, still in operation today, called Restored Pianos, been there for about 60 years. So he sort of sang out to me, said, oh, yeah. And then he said, oh, what are you up to? And so I basically had a general conversation about how I was at school, but sort of looking for an apprenticeship. And it was just leading into a holiday, like a six-week holiday period, the end of end of year holidays. Um, and he said, oh, why don't, you, why don't you come and do a bit of work for us, just helping out the tradesmen. So just cleaning up and mm-hmm. stuff like that. They ran a furniture and piano restoration, which basically mimics what we've got now. Mm-hmm. So I've sort of copied his model to a degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, asked me to asked me to just do some holiday work there and ended up there for um ended up there for nearly six years. Jeez. So So what was the first thing you learned about piano restoration? Sanding. Sanding? <laughs> sanding, sanding and sanding. Yeah, a large part of which I can go into later, but a large part of piano restoration is actually cabinet work. Like it's okay. a it's a big wooden item. Yeah. So a large part of restoration work is, you know, we could break it down later, but say a piano restoration is, they, they will vary, but say 100 to 150 hours, mm. 40 of that, like a whole week for one person is actually the cabinet, so mm-hmm. the woodwork. So stripping it all off and sanding um, and preparing the cabinet to be refinished, mm. so the visual side of it. So probably for the first three months, all I did, and that's a, like, that's a, that's a big drain on a, on a restoration business, like yeah. furniture or pianos or whatever, anything to do with wood is, is actually preparing the wood because it's a lot of sanding, mm. a lot of man hours. What, what captured you about pianos? Um, I, I think, I think what, what I liked initially, even though I wasn't into pianos, I, I think it was the fact that there was, there was lots of different parts to a piano. There's mm. the visual side, so you've got the cabinet, mm. the, the actual visual thing that you're restoring a visual thing that people look at Mm -hmm. and and it's going to end up in someone's home but there's also a mechanical side to it so you've got um a piano action which i can go into later but a a mechanism in a piano which has got two or two thousand moving parts in it so that it's actually a mechanical functioning Mm. thing um and then you've got the music side of it so you've got a, a musical item so i guess you've got visual mechanical and Musical, which is something I had never been involved with, mm. um, but yeah, went into that world. So I, I started to started to get in, get into it. I guess. Uh, One thing that fascinates me about pianos is they all seem to have a story. Yeah, like, like I always think, geez, I wonder who's played this. Yeah, yeah, that's um. I, th- that's, I guess that's one of the beautiful things about what we do. We're we're actually working on something that's a hundred years old, and yeah, it can sometimes people t- people. Yeah, if we restore a piano for someone, they will tell you the story, mm. uh, so you know. Other times, you've got to guess, you know, and you get clues. Sometimes you can get like little clues with pianos. What's, to, what's some of the interesting stories? Uh, I reckon the best one I ever had was a. Uh, this is about uh, five years ago. Had a um, got a piano into a store, and obviously take it all apart, so take all the panels out of it. I don't know if you can picture a piano, but mm. the front of it, as you see it, um, all those panels come off to reveal the inside. So, um, you know, like restoring anything, first part is actually dismantling it. Mm. So it's a, sort of see where your starting point is. So we took all the panels out and in the bottom was a little note and it, it actually, unfortunately, it had stopped in the 80s so it had obviously fallen somewhere but it was actually stuck at some point up the top of the piano and everybody had written where this piano had been. Oh so obviously goodness. you get some pianos that have been in a family its entire life but this particular one had been to a church in Darwin, moved back to Adelaide, 
over to a school in Western Australia, over to Ballarat. Someone had bought it privately. Then it had ended up in a home there. Then it had come back to Adelaide and Melbourne and been everywhere. That's amazing. And, um, and everybody had written you know, on this little bit of paper where it had been, you know, 1965 to 69 church in Wyala or somewhere, you know, something like that. So, But unfortunately that had fallen off and was in the bottom of the piano, so it stopped in the 90s. Oh, no. Um, so That's fascinating. Yeah, and that sort of... Sometimes you don't realise... I guess sometimes you're talking to... Uh, you know, a, a piano obviously is not a person, mm. <laughs> but you talk to older people and they've got so much life experience and you don't realise... Um, the things they've seen and the places they've been. Some of these pianos we're restoring were around during the First World War, during the Second World War, before electricity, before cars. So, yeah, must, in a must, way they have got their own little little story. You must feel uh, like a real strong sense of responsibility, even a bit of nervousness when, you, when you're restoring and rebuilding these things. Yeah, there, I guess there is. It's, uh, that's... Um, that's a large, I guess that's a large part of where our business has come from and is going to mm-hmm. in that I've sort of we've built up a little bit of a niche around that scenario because mm-hmm. we're not we're not buying an item getting it out of a box selling it and getting another one mm-hmm. we we we're finding something that is um, that's had a had a long hiss 100 you know that can be up to 130 years old they've been in distant places they're mean things to people they've been passed down so yeah, they, they all do. They have their own story and sometimes they mean a lot to people. Like, things mean a lot to people. Mm. So, you know, we've all got things in our life that are passed down to us mm. um, and they mean, they mean a lot, you know, mm. because, you know, we live, in a, we live in a bit of a throwaway society these days. So things like that to younger people now actually mean something because mm. um, they, they want that to continue. So you've got to make sure you do a good job. Absolutely. <laughs> so to return to, I guess, your career progression... Mm. Um, at what point did you become a police officer? Yeah, that um, that's that's uh, how can I start that one? I'll try to <laughs> condense it. Um, so essentially, so I started working at the piano shop um, when I was sort of sixteen, mm-hmm. and worked there. Um, as I sort of said, sort of fell into that. Worked there for six years in the end. So I was uh, did a couple of, couple of years of cabinet work, and then sort of decided I wanted to learn a bit more about the interior. So did all my training for the inside of pianos, so restoring the actual mechanical side of it. And then I think like most people that get to sort of 22, 23 or have been in a career for six years, gone are the days when we stay in the same thing for our entire lives, I sort of thought, oh, wouldn't mind just trying something different. My dad was a police officer for 30 years. So, and I just, um, I sort of wanted to advance myself academically because things made a lot more sense and I'd actually done a lot of theory with, mm. with piano work. So I'd learning to tune and so there's a lot of musical and mathematical theory that you do and sort of, that sort of taught me, oh, you know, I'm not stupid. Yeah, I can actually learn it. I just wasn't that so much into academia or schooling when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But because I'd sort of... And, and a pathway to that, I guess, was I decided that... Um, wanted to, I guess was a... It's a long way to answer your question, sorry. I'll no, get no, there no, 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 it's fine. Um, it was a combination of change of career, wanting to advance myself academically and wanted a bit of a challenge. So um, applied for the police force in Hobart and actually got knocked back because I didn't have enough schooling. Uh, mm. and, and I actually uh, couldn't swim properly. 
believe it or not. Because Hobart's a, or Tassie's an island, yeah. there's a, a large focus on, um, and they, they unfortunately, it's a horrible thing to go into, but have a lot of drownings and things mm-hmm. or water-related incidents. So in there's not so much of a focus on mainland Australia and police force, but in Tassie, one of the um, entry requirements is you're a strong swimmer. So, okay. um, so And I didn't have enough. Uh, I'd left school in year 11, so didn't have enough schooling. So... The police, Hope Tasmania Police, basically said you don't have enough schooling. Um, you can't go back to year 12 at 23, but we will accept a year of university if you go and do that. So and that was a really big thing for me, like going going to university when I'd left school at like almost mm. 15 or 16. So um, in those days, now you sort of just get in, I think, but um, that you, I had to actually apply to go to university, sit in an exam because I didn't have year 12. So I sat an academic, like a written exam, um, yeah. And got into university, did a year, and then applied, reapplied for the play, and, and actually ended up doing a, um, a life-saving course as well, like a bronze medalling course in swimming. So got those two things, went back, joined the police force. So, okay, so you're in the police force, but clearly you didn't completely move away from your piano work. Yeah, never did. It was a strange how that worked out. I I um, joined the police force and started. Uh, went to the academy for nine months in Hobart, lived in. So it's a live-in academy, so lived in. Um, so didn't do piano work for that time. Um, but it's probably the only time of the last 20 years that I didn't actually do piano work, that nine months. So lived in at the academy and it's it's a bit intense, so a um, lot, of, lot of study and, and stuff, so and a lot of work placement. So mm. I did that for nine months. Then when I left, my old boss, Eric, said, look, you're, you're working shift work. You've obviously got time during the day. I'm still stuck for people. Do you want to come and do some some work, some work here to just sort of you know cash in hand sort of work? So yeah. I went 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 back and did that, um, and so that's where it started the two the two together worlds. To, to the two worlds yeah absolutely and they are two really distinct worlds. So, so I don't I'd imagine that I mean being a police officer would be so intense. Would it be fair to say that the piano work was a bit therapeutic? Yeah, that's that's they. They complement each other in some strange ways, and believe it or not, there's a lot of police officers that actually have. Um, there's a, p- a lot of police officers that either have family businesses or, or a mm. second line of work, or a, or even a hobby, just to kind of counteract that work. Um, I guess, in terms of if we sort of talk about police work specifically, um, this I don't know how to put it, but it's not a sort of a chest beating thing. But no. I, I, I I'm not someone that gets overly stressed with things. I don't think so. That's not part of my personality. Um, so it wasn't sort of to counteract that. It was just part of it was money. Like it was it was additional money mm-hmm. for me. And once I'd been in Hobart, in the Tasmania Police, there we mo- me and my wife moved here together. So we moved to South Australia, and I, I actually didn't know anyone. So I actually didn't have much to do during the day. So I'd work shift work at night. Didn't have much during the day, so I sort of thought, oh, I'd still bit of bit of piano work again, and sort of got into it over here, and that's when this business really started to kick off. So, how, how did you get into it over here? Was it just putting a little ad in the classified and saying, "Hey, I'll, I'll do a bit of servicing"? Yeah. So we're talking two thousand and four. So you've just got just got websites kicking off, really. Um, you know, probably maybe I don't I couldn't tell you, but maybe 40 percent of businesses had a good website, so it wasn't wasn't mainstream then facebook wasn't around instagram wasn't around none of that was around Mm. so it was really um it started off where i went i targeted initially places that i knew had pianos so i we me and my wife would sit there on the lounge room floor and um 
so we'd, we'd type out a letter to all the ch- churches, schools, nursing homes, kindergartens, all the places we knew had pianos, and, and literally sign them, fold them up, put them in envelopes, and put stamps on them all, and handwrite addresses on them, post them all out. So that was one of the first things we did, a, a massive mail-out. I reckon we sent over about maybe about a 1,000 letters out. Wow, in, all manually. In, all yourselves. manually. Wow. Yep, yep, so on the old desktop, type the letter out, sign it. I'd signed every page, you know, as the, as the, 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 the owner of the, yep. the business. And, and yeah, um, you know, there was no... I don't think we even knew how to do a mail merge or anything like that. So well, I didn't have it all on a spreadsheet, so hand-wrote every address. <laughs> and I, think that, I think that personal touch is something that's probably lost in business. I actually know a few people who have taken to the handwritten style of letter because it's... It's so personal. It is, and it's lost these days. And one thing we actually do in our business, and every like last year, everyone went, oh, no, we're not doing that again. But we actually handwrite a Christmas card to every customer. So during the year, we, um, we, we go through our diary at the end of the year. With just five of us to work there now. So we actually go through and handwrite, um, you know, it's just something very simple on a, on a Christmas card. Dear Jenny... Thanks for your business in 2017, the team at Mobile Piano Service. Put a card in it, put it in an envelope, handwrite the envelope. And we usually have to block out a month in January for tuning work because that gets us so much work. People actually phone up and say, I can't believe I've got a handwritten envelope from you. That's amazing. So we we still do that to this day. Last year we we did about 800. Jeez, that's a great little growth secret. Yeah, look... That's a that is a part of the world that's got lost, I think. Yeah. In small business, like that personal thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. You, so you started. So the business started kicking off what from out the, at the boot of your car. Is that right? Yeah, literally. We so when we arrived in, in Adelaide, sent out the letters, got a bit of response from that. Started doing a little bit of advertising. In those days, it was in the old Trading Post, like the mm. the paper version of the Trading Post. Um, which I think has kind of transformed, obviously, into Gumtree and, and eBay, but that then it was a paper form of the trading post. So a few ads in there, and we used to put some line ads in the advertiser. Um, yep, so basically started just driving, very simple, driving around Adelaide, fixing and tuning pianos with a whole car full of spare parts and, and tuning gear. So that's wow. how it started. Um, that sort of transgressed into a little workshop at home, so minor repairs at home, and I started bringing some pianos back. So I aligned with a, a removalist because mm-hmm. I didn't have anyone to help me at the time. So I, I aligned with a removalist, and funnily enough, I used to—I don't know how I did it now—but I used to actually go and get some for myself with a trolley. I made this trolley that could wheel itself up into an old trailer that I bought, and I don't know how I didn't injure myself, but I didn't. But um, started taking a few back, yep. back. So I built a shed wow. out the back of a house we had. So built a little makeshift workshop, started doing some restoration work and I refused, that sort of led into selling them. So started buying, going and getting pianos to actually, um, yeah, to actually restore and sell. Okay. So I'd gone from, I guess I've spanned four years there, but it went from tuning in people's homes to doing larger repairs at home, taking pianos back, to restoring them, more work, to, to selling them. Yep. Yep. So there's... So it's kind of a fee for service type of type of model, and yep. then there's the whatever you can make off the restoration. Yeah. What, what's your with the restorations? I mean, what are the kind of what's the gamut of of profit? Like, I'm. It's just interesting to. to yep. So to, how we yeah. operate it is it's very it's a very simple model, but it's always worked for me. 
is that it's um, it's just worked out off an hourly rate. So we charge $85 per hour for, for our work. Um, and obviously that's increased over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just whatever the job takes times that. So that, because restoration work can vary so much, one person can say, don't care what it looks like, love all the marks in it, that's the history. I want it functional and working. Mm-hmm. Some people just want the inside. Other people want the opposite. They say, I don't care if it doesn't work because we don't really play it. I want it as a like visual thing in my house. Um, and other people want both. And some people are mixed. So mm. I find by doing an hourly rate, you then you put the you put it in their court. So they can you can say to them, there's 30 hours inside total, there's 60 hours outside total. Um, for, an, for a Mickey Mouse job, like absolutely mm-hmm. perfect, or you can do the outside for 30 hours. So it, it, it gives mm. the customer control over their own job mm. um, rather than you just coming and going, well, it's $5,000, take it or leave it. They can play around with that because it, the other part to that is you don't, you don't lose as many jobs because people have control. So they can come back to you and go, look, really want that outcome. Do we don't have $5,000 to spend on this piano. We, we budgeted two and a half. Mm. So then I can say, all right, well, what about if we don't do this? We do that. So um, we focus on that side Is of that it. What's more important to you? Yeah. Okay. So you've now got a team. You've got a, a dog mascot. Yep. Uh, what's been the keys to growth, do you think? Keys to growth. Um, keys to growth. Probably the last four years has been a really big learning curve for me because I've gone from, um, we'll say five years go back to 2012 it was me by myself my brother used to my brother actually works it's another whole long story I won't go into it but my brother actually works at the piano shop I used to work at now in Hobart so he used to fly over for he'd, I'd fly him over and he'd spend three weeks here smash out three huge weeks and then he'd go back so mm-hmm. it was but essentially it was just me um, to now there's there's actually six of us now so including me so um, being a big learning curve probably the most important things I've learnt would be being very transparent um, in your business with your customers, being bluntly honest, even if it's going to lose you a job. Um, you almost, and I've tried to instil this on in the others, that it doesn't matter if you lose a job, um, but you're bluntly honest with a customer if you can or can't do it, rather than wing it, try mm. to wing it or learn as you go and... and, and, and and doing the job, and that goes back to what we're sorry to cut you off, but that no. goes back to what we're saying before about it being so important to people because you're working on something. A lot of the time, it's a family heirloom. Mm. You can't stuff it up. You don't. You don't have that. There's, there's that's no not margin for error. No. Yeah. So because a lot of people in business will kind of say yes to everything and then go, you know, how do I do I'm it? Going to make, make it yeah. up as I go and along. And look, sometimes that is. Sometimes that's a key to growth. Sometimes that's that I can see that in some models and parts of the business. I'll do that. Like if I. Um, I can't think of a specific example, but if it's if it's a job that I think um, I will essentially lose money on it by doing it properly, um, but it's good for the overall growth of the business, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it might be, um, like I'll give you an example. Just recently, because we've gone into furniture restoration as well, um, we've sort of got built up a reasonable name in Adelaide now, and I've just got a, I've got three three important jobs just recently. I got one for. Burnside Council, um, which was their boardroom chairs and table. Another one for the State Library, um, which is some of their furniture as you walk in. Um, and uh, we're actually going to do the leather work Parliament House wow. now. So those jobs, I look at them and 
um, because we're not set up to do some of that work, I'm going to have to set us up to do it. Yep. So to do it properly, I, c- I can do it properly, but I've got to invest money to do it. So that specific job is going to lose me money. Mm. Like I'm going to, if you look at that one job, it's going to mm. lose money. Um, but it's not over the big, you've got to look big picture. Yeah. Um, and You're once, creating another stream. Creating another stream. And once you've done work for Parliament House, Town Hall, Councils, private pe- private people that want a good result it just builds credibility doesn't it so credibility um, prestige all of that. yeah so sometimes it's about not sometimes that's part of a model it's about um yeah i've sort of gone off a bit no, of a no, tangent no, no, i've forgotten good. where it started no 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 it's good no you, you've completely answered the question yeah i guess what have been the hardest bits on the journey i mean you've now now parked up the the policing career yeah um, this is your this is your thing. What is is has that been been a big, big part? I guess the the jump. Uh, big biggest part of the whole journey would would be sheer man hours. For a while there, um, I was. My wife still thinks I'm a bit insane with my work hours, but I was really ridiculous for a while. I mean, I was. I would literally work. I'd be up in the morning at seven a.m. I would work all day on piano work. That would be out back to the shop back, or not even shop then workshop at home be in and out of house tuning pianos in people's houses I'd get to five o'clock get home this is pre-kids get get home have dinner get my police uniform on go to work at six o'clock till two in the morning and then get up the next day I was running on four or five hours sleep for a long time but um, was that sustainable? not sustainable <laughs> no um, and that's where growth comes in you've got to get people to delegate to um, and once you start doing Start, once you start putting in so many hours, your, your quality of work starts to deteriorate. So then you have to employ people to then do that work. So it's very simple. I don't have to tell people out there a, a business model of delegation. But, um, yeah, the, the biggest challenge over the years for me has been, because it's a labour industry, um, literally not having enough hours in the day to do, do it. It's mm. not – we're not – we do sell pianos now, but it's um, but they're restored pianos, so you even they even take time. So mm. it's not we're in we're not in the business of we're in a retail shop. We sell all the stuff. We order another container and sell more. You know, you, you sell a piano, you got to replace it. Mm. So um, yeah. So what's the what's the vision? How how are you going to take the business to an even greater level? Yeah. So I guess part of any business is. Um, growth-wise is, uh, for me, what's important is having a little bit of arrogance and a little bit of guts um, and, and taking chances. So that's, I've always, um, that's one of the things I think, and it just sort of ties in with policing as well, which I was saying before, because police career is all about sometimes... It's, there's a big focus on leadership mm. and that translates into business because as a business owner you, you, you the buck stops with you like you are um, you know you're it you're mm. the head of the snake so some t- I think if you don't take risks and take chances and um, be a bit bullish be, be a little bit arrogant not not stupid but um, yeah be a bit bu- that's a good word be bullish and um, it, it, dra- it, it, it instills confidence in everyone else because every, everybody in our business has got different personalities. Some people are more laid back. Other people like taking chances. But it shows them that, um, that I'm, willing to, I'm willing to drag it along and, and try and get it somewhere. And just last year, we've 
um, going back to your question about where's it going to, last year, we've actually, because of the Hobart link, and we're now in Adelaide, um, or we've always been in Adelaide, but you know, we sort of went into mm-hmm. that before the Hobart link to it, Melbourne's been in between. So we've, we've actually always done work in Melbourne. Um, people have called us up and said, oh, it's quite, it's usually, quite, that's been quite a personal thing. So people have said, oh, you tune the piano for my auntie in, you know, Unley, and we, we live in Melbourne. Do you ever come to Melbourne? I sort of said, yeah, we do, but it's not, we fly in and do work. And uh, so it's, Melbourne's always been a part of what we do. But I, to be honest, I got sick of explaining to everyone there what we do. So last year I said to the other guy, um, this is an example of what you just, what you just mentioned. I said to the other guy, Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a website. I'm going to chuck a website on in Melbourne mm-hmm. and start that going. And we we just, the the initial model was we were going to go over for one week four times a year, and we now go over fortnightly. Wow! <laughs> so both of us. So um for two three days and just do a whole lot of work. So that's um you know that's a one model like interstate mm-hmm. um, expansion, and that's going to tie into maybe franchising and and, and stuff in the future. Again, that's another massive learning curve for me. You know, it's gone from, we talk about steps. We've gone from, you know, me not having a business, being in the police force, to having a home-based business, to having an outsider home business, to having staff now interstate. So it's no different to most stories, but it's, mm. it's definitely on a growth. And the personal growth is, is awesome as well, I'd imagine. Personal growth is as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I guess kids and like type, type, Things have changed for me over the years, like they do with everybody. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, personal, personal, yeah, personal growth is a final question. Yep. Uh, what's been the proudest moment on the journey so far? Proudest moment, probably, probably proving to myself and others that we could actually make a make a go of this business because over the years. And people always say it to me, they still say it to me now, pianos are such a small market. Mm. Um, how, do you, how, did you, how did you get to where you are from, you know, out of such a small, small industry? And I think um, p- part of that is I was probably lucky in that the, that, that growth came from, we've said, being a bit bullish, a bit arrogant, a bit strong in decision-making. Um, Another large part of that, and I saw this about 10 years ago, um, and sort of people didn't quite believe me at the time, but I sort of started to see a bit of a social change in, I know this is a whole other conversation, I won't no, go into it, but a, a sort of with a, the whole hipster culture and, um, you know, you go back 20 years ago, cafe, like you go to a cafe and it was all brand new furniture and whereas now retro cafes and older mm. furniture, that's very popular. So, and that whole hipster movement. And I sort of started to see that because I started to see younger people wanting to fix pianos and tune older pianos. Um, and nobody believed me. And, but I knew what, I, but I couldn't articulate it at the time. I couldn't work out what my business model was because I didn't know. Um, but I sort of just saw a bit in that and Cultural, I followed culture shift, culture shift, social shift, um, yeah, and I sort of start, I started to see that, and I saw a bit of a, um, I saw a vision in that, and I, I guess going back to your question about what's been um, the most, uh, what was it, proudest, pr- proudest moment, for, most fulfilling is is actually having the guts to follow that, yeah, because because basically everyone said that won't work, um, you know, who's gonna, no one wants old pianos, um, because at the time, 
bit like any industry. Like the, the, the vintage industry now is enormous. Cafes, furniture, cars, like cars have gone through the roof, mm. you know. So, and I saw that at the start mm. and I thought that could benefit our business because we deal in vintage stuff. Mm. Um, that's all we deal with. So, and no one believed me at the time. Everyone said, nah, it's not going to work. It's a stupid model. Don't invest money in it. But it has worked. I mean, wow. it's not. It's not. It's not. It's still got a way to go, but it's 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 where I want it to be now. Wow. So that's probably my biggest thing. Awesome. Well, well, Joe, thanks for coming onto the show and and sharing what is a, a truly fascinating story. And, yep. and Sorry, a, I'll and industry. <laughs> no, no, mate. I'll look, I think it's I think it's fascinating. A big big part of this podcast will be um, allowing business owners to openly share their story, um, the highs, lows, and, and otherwise. So thanks so much. Yeah, I think it's like a really good thing you're doing. Like every story, every business got their own story, and it's good to hear them. So Absolutely. what you're doing is fantastic. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to our interview with Joe Lever from Mobile Piano Service. For more information, visit mobilepianoservice.com.au. Head of the Game brings you real business stories that will inspire and help you grow. Please subscribe to our show and find out more by visiting kmtpartners.com.au. At our website, you can also find out more about KMT's accounting and wealth advisory services, which supports individuals, their families, their businesses with accounting, business management, growth, compliance and advisory services. Get in touch at kmtpartners.com.au.